Well, I was cycling in, yes, it was in Hungary, and I was heading to Pamplona, Spain. Majororsak. In the late in the late 90s, and I stopped the first night. I, I hadn't trained at all. I had wintered, wintered in Budapest, in Pest, and then took off for for Pamplona to run with the bulls. Was, I was going to ride all the way. Was, to was that was that winter but, in the uh, the uh, Hungarian labor camps? Yeah. Well, almost. I was living with a, an old lady. Her name was uh, Maria. I called her Maria Nani. She insisted on that, which mm. kind of means grandma, grandma, yeah. grandma Maria. Yeah, Mar- and, Maria uh, Nani. How, how old was she? She she was in her 80s, and she told me stories about the the Russian invasion and uh, the 57 uh, shootings and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, the, a lot of people were killed. She spoke actually. She told me she spoke German at one time. She only spoke to me in Hungarian, and this is how I learned Hungarian was just her talking to me every day. And you you she, learned your Hungarian from an 80 year old uh, Maria Nani. Yeah, yeah. Living in uh, Southern Pest, kind of you know the ring that went around the city. It was below the ring, mm-hmm. south of the ring a little bit, uh, right a few blocks away from the Danube. Anyways, so she was very religious. And we, I would watch television of the Pope. Um, oh, she was Catholic? As well as these, Catholic uh, or Protestant? Yeah, yeah, very Catholic. You did run into Protestant and, uh, Hungarians. There were. There, there are Calvinists, too. There's a Calvinist enclave uh, near, near the Slovenian border. But anyway, so I learned my Hungarian from her. And then in the, in the spring, when the weather got nice, uh, I wanted to go to Spain. So I said goodbye. And I took off. For Spain, uh, but I hadn't trained at all, so I, I was a wreck. I got to, my my goal was to do 60, 60 kilometers in the first day, so but about a hundred about a hundred miles, which which you can do. It's pretty easy to do when you're in, when you're in good shape. But I was I hadn't ridden at all, and uh, I I wanted to get to Lake Balaton though. That was the goal. So I got to Lake Balaton, and I, I went to a campground there. At Lake Balaton, and there were all these these Germans, Germans in caravans, in their campers. They were Lake Balaton's a very very big lake. I think it's the the biggest lake in Europe, something like that. Uh, that, that a lot of people fishing that, from the that shore. That could be true, but but I'll, but you know that the Cyrillic alphabet was created in in Hungary. It was created by Bulgarians, Kirill and Methodi, but uh, but uh, it actually they they were Bulgarian monks who were at Lake Balaton. I'm sure you you sensed that when you visited. Really? This is true. I didn't know they were at Lake Balaton. Yeah, they uh, they were Bulgarian monks, and uh, but the Cyrillic alphabet actually was uh, created uh, in Hungary. Why those guys were on uh, some some tr- retreat or vacation? I think staying at an uh, Air- that I was Air- not aware Airbnb, of. Airbnb, but... I think. <laughs> well, it is interesting because at that lake, I met uh, another young guy. He's our age. Um, and his name was uh, Vislav Bodkin. And he was half American and half Bulgarian. Uh, he spoke English fluently. And as, as we remember, we've been, we've been studying Bulgarian to go to Bulgaria. And you had actually, I think at this point, probably gotten to Bulgaria. But I, had, I was not yet there. And I turned away and never went. But anyway, so I was talking to him in Bulgarian a little bit. Um, and... And we, uh, he wanted to talk about cycling. He was interested in cycling. And, uh, and many years later, actually, he would become a cyclist and do, and do quite a bit of cycling himself. Anyway, we kept, it, we kept in touch. 
So you and, met, so you met, um, you met Bod, Bodkin at the birthplace of uh, his own language. Well, not his language, but the, his, his own alphabet. Well, there you go. So, so Vislav, Vislav is there, and uh, we just, you know, we just hung out that night. We ate dinner together, cooked a little bit on my uh, my stove, uh, shared some coffee. Uh, great, great guy. He had a lot of plans. Uh, he was traveling himself, and I, I guess headed to Budapest, maybe back to Bulgaria. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But anyway, we we kept up with each other, and um, very recently with this human side press project. Uh, I just I, I'd spoken to him about my translation of of Hamson and Hamson's poetry, and he mentioned to me that he had been translating into English the poetry of Varlam Shalomov, who I was familiar with from the Kolima uh, Tales, these incredible stories, short stories of the Gulag and labor camps of the 1930s during the Stalinist period. He was in prison there, in a very very tough place in a tough environment for. Uh, close to 20 years, I guess. And so Bodkin tells me that he's got these translations and that he would like to potentially publish his book of uh, poetry translations on the Human Side Press. And I said, yeah, man, for sure. And I guess also he's trying to translate a, a biography of Shalomov that, uh, according to him, is not very well written in Russian. Now, now he's translating it into Bulgarian or English? Into English, into English. There's, I guess, there would be no reason to translate it in Bulgarian because of the similarities in the language. It's also in Cyrillic, so um, he's got he's he's sitting on. That'd some be like translating anyway. in uh, from Canadian to American English. That's right. That's right. Be like translating uh, anyway, Jordan so Peterson into, on, uh, uh, into American English. Well, that's what we've been doing. That's what we've tried to do in the last three podcasts. I think I think we've done a great job. So he's so misunderstood. But anyway, so Bodkin's got these. Uh, he, he gave me a couple of these um, these poems. I put them up on uh, I put them up on my uh, my blog, and uh, I mean it's great stuff. You, you I, I think maybe you've read a couple of these poems. It's it's just phenomenal, and it's every bit as good as the Kolima tales, and Kolima stories. Uh, so it's it's just riveting stuff. So I'm I'm really enthusiastic about him finishing the this book. And that biography, I guess, I guess, try and put out the biography too. It's going to be interesting to see how many pages it actually is. Why, why the poetry? Um, I mean, why? <clears throat> I mean, after all the uh, untranslated stories, why doesn't this Bodkin guy? I mean, what is his interest in the poetry? I mean, do you, do you, do you like the poet? What do you what do you think his interest to in the poetry is? I mean, do you personally like the poetry? I haven't read the poetry. Well, he's. Bodkin's actually the guy who told me about uh, Shalomov originally and got me into the Kalima stories. Yep. And they've been they've been translated into English, um, not all of them, but I I've read I've read most of them, and they're phenomenal. And um, the poetry, according to Bodkin, is was every bit as good, and it just it just is not known, and it's not known to Russians either. And so um, he sent me a couple of these, like I said, and I was I was very impressed. It's it's very different than the Hampson stuff, but it has this very natural. The natural world plays a big part, like the Hampson uh, poems that I translated. So it's very exciting to read, and I, you know, it kind of fits in alongside Hampson, although Hampson never had any of the anguish of a labor camp. But um, I, I think it'll be an event to publish. Um, I guess the book of the book of poetry uh, comes from a compilation that just came out in Russia. Um, 
in the 90s. It was the first time it was ever properly put together uh, as, as all of his poems. The Kalima Notebooks is the translation. And so uh, it's kind of not really known to Russian people. And there, there seems to be also a, quite a bit of um, suppression of, of Shalomov that happened uh, throughout the course of his life because his stories of the Stalinist labor camps were so extreme that Russian people, as well as the kind of the Khrushchev government, didn't really want that image um, during the Cold War to come out. They were much more comfortable with the uh, Solzhenitsyn and the Gulag Archipelago, which was, uh, which was not as extreme in terms of the, the, the terror and the, and the, and the death and the, all that that happened, like it happened in uh, the Kolyma labor camp. I, uh, I mean, the, in, 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 in the Kolyma labor camps, it seems like life is very, very cheap. I mean, uh, a guy gets impaled uh, by a tree stump and they just kind of pull his, pull his body from the, from the tree stone matter-of-factly and realize they uh, have to cut, cut down a lot of stumps now. I mean, uh, yeah. doesn't, there, doesn't, there doesn't, it doesn't sound like they were uh, places of uh, reform, but uh, almost, almost yeah, like concentration it was, a vacation, it was a vacation destination. Uh, and, well, part of the problem was the work was so hard because I guess a lot of it was uh, gold mining. And the work did, was so did hard. They actually, burnt, did they actually get, get, a, a get a decent amount of gold? I mean, were these productive mines? They did. There's a lot of gold there. There was quite a lot of gold. And they were using the gold to fund, um, to fund the war effort. So it was quite important that they had this gold. And uh, I mean, this is kind of, this is so kind of sla- slavery, right? I mean, it's kind of... Well, they were, they were political prisoners and criminal prisoners. And... Um, and they were worked very, very hard in the, I guess it got to be like 50 below zero. Jesus, and, uh, Jesus. You just, what they, was, they, uh, they, what was, they never uh, got enough food. What was Shalomov uh, thrown in jail for? I mean, was he, was he a criminal? Well, he, he apparently, um, he apparently supported, uh, when Stalin was uh, elected, he supported this, um, this paper by Lenin, and he was part of its publication, which talked about like uh, like the freedom of opinions within the Communist Party, how necessary it was, and Stalin viewed this as um, anti anti uh, Soviet activity, and this was this was really the, the initial crackdown when Stalin took over, and so all these people were accused of being Trotskyites and um, were sent to uh, sent to the camps. And uh, I guess he was released at some point. After a number of years, he was released, and he was free for a year. But then he was rearrested because um, I guess Stalin changed his mind about releasing people. And anyone who had been accused and accused and gone to a labor camp before, they just rearrested them and sent them back again, and, and basically said you you you're uh, guilty of the same crime. So you you, you were just uh, you're basically just really screwed. And uh, so he was there. Really, I guess he almost died at the, at the, during this period. But he was saved. He was saved because he could um, he could remember a lot of poetry, I guess. And uh, some doctor liked him and got him a job that wasn't in the mines. Because I guess when you went to work in the mines, it was a death sentence. Because in the mines, you didn't have enough food. Uh, you weren't you weren't replacing the calories. You were you were burning, uh, hauling uh, <clears throat> stone out of the mines. 
searching for gold. And they're they're using. I don't so know if they were refining. I don't know if they were refining how they're getting the ore out there. Imagine that they were trying to process the ore as well. They're using caustic chemicals. I mean, so I'm sure sure these guys were living very short lives. Uh, you, you mentioned that, that yeah, you didn't that, apparently it didn't last long. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that the uh, that the nature plays uh, plays a role in this guy's work. Uh, I mean, are, are you talking about the severity of the Siberian landscape? That the 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 is 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 it is it his ideas and his plot are being driven by this very intense uh, fr- frozen tundra? Yeah, I mean, he's out there in the uh, the taiga, and uh, I like that word taiga taiga. I don't know how you say it. I think you, it's taiga. You, you've got to say it like uh, 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 Werner Herzog. Yeah, taiga. That's how, I, that's how I learned it from. I'd never heard anyone say the word until Werner Herzog said it in that documentary. He, um, it's, 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 I guess it's brutal, the, uh, the winters. I, I, think, I think it's got all the, you know, because you know where Colima is. It's right up next to Alaska, northern part of Alaska, the Bering Strait. I think that's where it's located. And um, interestingly enough, Shalomov's, um, I know this from uh, Bodkin, my, some of my, uh, my, uh, my well, email exchanges. Wait, with wasn't them. Seward Fisheries? Was uh, me, wasn't Seward Fisheries once named, uh, once named like the uh, Colima Fisheries? <laughs> well, almost. Uh, Shalomov's father was a was a Orthodox priest, and he was sent to Kodiak Island, and um, I guess after the sale of of Alaska. All of these Russians were suddenly abandoned all throughout Alaska, which had formerly been Russia. And the, the Orthodox Church uh, decided that it was necessary to protect its, uh, its parishioners. And so they wanted to send more monks over to help protect them from, um, from, from sin and from being changed. And so it was kind of like this, this, um, this maintenance and missionary work of the Orthodox Church it's in gonna these be, places where Russians live. It's going to be hard to protect so anybody uh, from sin in Alaska. I can tell you that. Especially on Kodiak Island when you got those, uh, you got those dock workers. <laughs> you got all that, uh, got all that blow and those, 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 those wealthy uh, deckhands with all their money thrown around. I mean, how, how can you stay Orthodox? They fish, for, uh, they so fish it, very hard in Kodiak. I, I heard that uh, that's not a boat you want to get on. Well, at Kodiak, his father, I guess, was, um, I guess he was there for a while. Uh, Shalomov was born later, but there was definitely this Alaska, this Alaska period for the family that the family remembered. And then, but of course, all this happened before uh, Lenin and uh, World War One. Everything, I, I mean, it's interesting to think about all the different changes that happened during this guy's life. And uh, unfortunately, he died in... Uh, I guess the early '80s, and none of his none of his works were were really all that well known. And he was very he was very disappointed in um, in Solzhenitsyn, who who became a Nobel Prize winner, and Solzhenitsyn presented this very different view of the the gulags that Shalomov didn't really agree with. I guess th- there was this one story where Solzhenitsyn talks about having a uh, a pet cat. And uh, Shalomov said to him, um, <laughs> "What kind of gulag could you have a pet cat in? We would have we would have eaten that cat within uh, within an hour." Well, I mean, uh, 
I, I know what happens to dogs. The, uh, oh, did you, did you read that story? Did you read that one story? Yeah, the yeah I, I, about the, I think it's uh, skimming the, through. The guy ate a dog. The guy ate a dog, but he didn't know it. And then he said, oh, yeah, but it, it did taste delicious. No, well, that, 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 that's, that's one of them. But the, uh, the one I'm thinking of is Tamara the bitch. Tamara gets shot with an automatic weapon. And uh, one of the uh, foresters uh, buys the dog skin. They, they skin the dog after it was shot with the automatic weapon by the soldier. And the, uh, the forester said, it'll make good gloves. And he didn't mind the bullet holes. Now, he, uh, I think he ends the story that way. If I remember correctly, he uh, he's not trying to plot something. I, I don't I don't know how writers write these days. I don't know how they write fiction. I don't know where they get their ideas. But I mean, people haven't people that really haven't lived a very interesting or challenging life um, are probably troubled with plot or what to write. But if something happens like this, the the drama or the narrative actually proceeds from memory, and uh, he ends his uh, short story. Tamara the bitch with, he said the bullet holes in the hide didn't matter. And I, I, I guess that's poetic and final, but it, it probably was the last thing he remembered. And then he got on to the next story. I, I, I don't see how these modern writers can read Shalomov and uh, forgive themselves for making, making something up and worrying about how something flows or sounds. Because yeah, but a lot of these a lot of these modern people they, for one thing, they don't have the material, so they mask it with with their artifice. They learn a bunch of uh, fancy words and fancy constructions, and they use that to mask their lack of of material. Shalimov was sitting on like I guess twenty years of camp labor camp stories that he had experienced himself or or heard experienced. So, I mean, this guy was sitting on a, just a wealth of material that on top of it, I think he felt an obligation to write. Like he felt like he, he needed to, to record this somehow for, for all the dead who had passed um, and w could no longer speak. I mean, there was a, there was a sense of injustice that he, he was trying to, to write and make just through this writing. And that he never gets emotional. He never, I mean, it's, it's always a very steady hand that he writes with. I mean, he's just... He's just a master. The guy's a master. You know, it's like, um, have you ever read that, that fella Chekhov? Yep, yep. Another Russian guy? That, uh, he, he kind of has that, that, that similar style. Um, Shalomov has a similar style to him, which is uh, you, could take these, you could take these horrific offense, um, but to really show their horror, you don't have to overstate the event. You just have to tell it, tell it the way it was. Tell it... Tell it how you saw it. Tell it with the words that, that really give, give the moment and give, give, that, give, that, give that image an event. Show the action. Because there are, you know, in writing, there are right words. There are right words and wrong words. And uh, I think a lot of these fancy MFA writers that get off on um, showing off with words instead of really trying to understand the word that corresponds to, to the event that will, in the... In the images created for the reader will provoke the emotion. You don't have to explain any of it. It'll all be there if you could tell it. You could tell it with the right word. Um, but it, and and Shalomov does. And and I mean we're we're reading him in translation. And I think even in translation it comes through that this guy is extremely careful with the way he's writing. 
It must be very simple, the Russian that he writes with. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's simple, but the constructions are simple. It doesn't seem to be very convoluted. Well, I mean, there's, there's not really a matter of an <clears throat> interpretation when you uh, are talking about uh, a dog being shot or your, your toe freezing off or, you know, lo- losing your hand in, 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 a, in, a, in a gold mine in Siberia. I mean, really, what is, what is there to interpret? I mean, there's, the, the, the feeling has to be evoked in the reader. And uh, either the readers are going to say that they, they disagree with the plot and they're missing the point because this, this actually happened, or they're they're moved and affected by the realization that this is a this is a man that had gone through hell and, and lived and had and written about it. Uh, I I can't I just I would you know uh, Solzhenitsyn said that he was uh, trembling when he first read uh, Shalomov and said that he he saw him as a brother. Now the <laughs> the thing is is that uh, Shalomov obviously experience the, the 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 real gulag and you were saying Solzhenitsyn uh kind of experienced the uh the resort version of the gulag well I guess I guess Shalomov said to Solzhenitsyn uh when Solzhenitsyn described his experiences Shalomov said to him oh I could have lived there a long time that would have been just fine or something <laughs> uh, but he um you know that that Solzhenitsyn he wrote that book uh one life one day in the life of Ivan um Denisovich. Okay. Am I saying that right? It's a, that that kind of it's a short story novella kind of thing. I remember reading it. I can't. Uh, I haven't read it in a long time. I can't. Can't really remember. I, and he became popular with that. And then he wanted. I mean, to he write won a he won a Gulag. Nobel Prize, didn't he? Yeah, but he won it for the Gulag Archipelago, which, which apparently was not entirely his experience. Like he he used the experiences of a bunch of other people and didn't credit them. And put them in the book. And one of the people he went to to try and get his experiences was Shalomov. And he asked Shalomov if Shalomov would be like a co-author. And Shalomov turned him down. Didn't want anything to do with it. But apparently, like, some of these experiences from Shalomov were still taken by uh, Solzhenitsyn and used, which really made Shalomov angry. So this Solzhenitsyn guy goes off and becomes this hero in all the West. He becomes this Nobel, Nobel Prize winner. And um, meanwhile, Shalomov is in is in Russia. He's very sick from all of his his disabilities from the camps, and he's 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 more or less unpublished. Hey, have he's I told you about my short story on the about the uh, Calvinist uh, Hungarian minister who fed me Majestretes uh, uh, cherry soup? Yeah, that that happened to me. That didn't happen to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but if I, actually, the strange thing is that happened. Who's, who's going to know? But who's going to know? Well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. You'd be a. You'd be like a modern uh, contemporary Solzhenitsyn. You just. You just st- steal it away. Steal all the stories. Get, you become a Nobel Prize winner. I've got another. But you know that that um that Calvinist minister. That whole thing happened. I think that was like. I think that might have been like the next day after Lake Balaton. I ran into that guy and his wife after I met uh, Bodkin. Uh, at the lake. Maybe that yeah, I think it was the next day. I pulled general. I pulled the old trick at that at Lake Balaton at the campground. Instead of paying, remember how I used to ride into those campgrounds and we just ride in real confidently and we wouldn't stop to pay or anything. We just just park the bikes. The, the French the French know that if if you're uh, if you're riding a bicycle and you you look like you're a member of a team and you have great confidence, 
no, no officials are going to stop and question you. You're, you're obviously on official business. No, but even when the, um, even when the officials would, uh, would step out of their offices, um, you just kind of wave at them and just drive by, and they, they think, uh, oh, the guy, uh, the, they must be a part of like some camper that we already, that already paid. They go back to their office. No one ever bothers you. But the real trick is when you leave. You got to leave with with even a greater a greater sense of confidence. You can't ride too fast. You don't want to ride too slowly either. You don't want you don't want to have the guy be able to come out and actually chase you down. You want to you want to ride just fast enough that that you leave the campground so that if he were to run out yelling after you, um, you would have plausible deniability that you didn't hear him, you didn't do anything about it. If the if the police were to be called and, and get you later, but when you get out of sight. You need to turn it on. You need to really fucking turn it on and get out of town. Right. So this is get uh, away. So the, so the, so the topic the topic is on, on, on escaping campgrounds. Yeah. So I left uh, I left that campground at Balaton, and that's when I, I, I at the border of Slovenia I met the uh, the storm cloud came over and I met that uh, the Calvinist minister at his church, and I had with his wife and a small child that uh, cherry soup, which was delicious. You've had that cherry soup, right? Yeah, and I, and I said that it was medjish retesh, which is wrong. It's it's medjish levesh. <coughs> it's ch- levesh is soup. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, retesh is a, is an actual uh, pastry. Uh, I've had the cherry soup. It's uh, there there's no there's no culture that that uses sour cherries like the Hungarians, and they match the sour cherries with uh, with roasted uh, sausage. They take the sausage and they they put it in an oven. And they roast it under a slow heat for uh, a couple of hours, and it turns sticky and dry, but still succulent. And then they they pull out the baking pan, and they just pull off pieces of it, and it just it, it's this feathery, silky chorizo style. And uh, and then they cut the fat with it by putting the the sour cherries in their mouth and drinking a uh, 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 feherbor, which is a white wine or or maybe some. Uh, uh, some some medjesh palinka some some cherry some cherry uh, uh brandy but uh so this calvinist uh yeah, gave you the soup the soup yeah but the soup you're telling me that there was sausage in the soup no no the the sausage you would bake it in a pan and then uh you would actually have a bowl of the the fermented cherries uh, that was uh, in like oh a, you eat the you eat the cherries with the sausage yeah I, I didn't and, do that. and the, those those that. cherries those cherries uh the fermented cherries, they would pull them out of the, the compote jar and throw them in the soup to make the soup. They're, uh, they're yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. One, one of the other things, one of the other things that Maria Neni uh, in Pest she would give to me were um, these these very old bottles. She didn't drink alcohol at all, but she knew that I drank alcohol from from all the bottles I would I would bring and keep in my room. <laughs> what, what, what were you What were you drinking? Uh, I drank a lot of Bull's Blood of Eager. <laughs> very, very cheap, very cheap. It, man, it was it's a nasty wine that would just sit in my stomach. It would it would make me sick, but it was very, very cheap. What was it called? Eger um, Eger Bikavar or what? Uh, shit, what was that called? Yeah, Bikavar, Bikavar, Eger Bikavar. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what it was. Uh, but but she saw this, and so she started. Um, her brother, his name was uh, Shandor. And he lived in Shekes uh, Fekarvar, and he would give her bottles of his homemade wine. So she had all these bottles, but she never drank them. So she started giving me the bottles. I didn't even know how old this wine was, and I just started drinking it. 
and uh, this this made me terribly ill, terribly ill drinking this wine. But I kept drinking it because I felt bad that I I would be uh, I'd be turning down all this wine. Some of the bottles were probably newer than others, or better vintages from Shandor. And, uh, wait, wait. So Sh- Shandor they, they was giving you his 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 wine his wine moonshine these unmarked bottles that uh, yeah unmarked bottles uh, unmarked bottles yeah that's uh, yeah that sounds like a, it sounds like a headache it, it sounds like a headache literally yeah but you know I didn't get as sick as I did from the uh, those cheap uh, bull's blood of eager those those were nasty those really hurt but uh, yeah any anyway I. Um, I got a few letters from uh, Maria Nini. She she wanted to know when I was coming back. Da da da. I, I always remember her story about uh, she's after 1957. I guess she was speaking German with one of her friends, and a Russian soldier pointed a pistol right at her head, and said, uh, "Keep keep speaking in German, and I'll pull the trigger." And uh, she said she never spoke German again. This was when she was trying to talk to me, and she's trying to figure out how to talk to me. And the, my Hungarian was so bad, she she tried to use a few words of Ger- a few words of German, which were the first words of German she'd spoken since 1957. And she told me that story in Hungarian. Uh, this was all very slow in the beginning. When you have a dictionary and you're trying to figure out what someone's saying, it's just it's just everything took a long time. Right. But uh, yeah, you weren't you weren't trying to but, say you know thank thank you for the delicious food. You realized she was talking about uh, a uh, wartime experience. Yeah, yeah, I, fig- I figured it out what she was talking about. But, I mean, you, you went through the same thing, no doubt. Uh, you were trying to learn the language. It's extraordinarily hard language to learn for, for English speakers. And, uh, yeah, Najon Nehe is a major The I had a nanny. I had a nanny too, man. Uh, she had a, a serial code uh, etched in her arm by the Germans. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she, really? was, she was a Hungarian Jew. And uh, I was... Uh, Dating this uh, this Hungarian girl, real 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 catch. She was a real really really special girl. You might you might know her. Uh, and uh, that girl was the craziest girl I ever heard of. Yeah, the that girl was the was batshit crazy. The the actual experience of uh, consummating a relationship with her was 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 quite quite extraordinary. Uh, I was living in in Buda at the time and. Uh, the woman below us was a Irma Nani. And Irma Nani, we hadn't seen her for a couple of weeks. We assumed that she was dead, uh, as old people tend to transpire as they, as they reach their twilight years. And uh, we asked her what she had done. And she said, well, I went to Paris. And we said, well, who did you go with? She said, I went by myself. It was my birthday, so I took myself to Paris. So, uh, so Irma Nani was a, was a very, uh, was a very independent uh woman and uh there was another elderly couple that uh would would shuffle out from time to time and and, and rake leaves i was living in the foothills of buddha towards the uh, end of the villa mosh almost almost near the uh the 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 town that uh that buttresses uh budapest it slips my memory at the time but uh how close were you to the um how close were you to the uh the museum in buddha uh the art museum the well, so I was at the end of the Vila Mosh, so it, w- it would have been about thirty minutes to uh, okay. to the castle district, and then because uh, I don't know, I don't know Buddha. I don't. I didn't really know Buddha at all. I only I only went there to go to the uh, museum to see the. Um, There's a great Hungarian painter called uh, Chontvari Koshka, 
and uh, he was unacclaimed in his life, but there's some huge painting. He did very, very big paintings, but they're all kept at this museum, and you can see them there. Those, that was really the only reason I went to, uh, to Buddha. We, we've got we've to we've take a trip out to uh, Budapest and, and, make a, make, and, and, and film it. Uh, definitely. Well, apparently it's, apparently it's very changed. When, when we were both there, it was, um, it was kind of the second Prague. Like all the, all the westernization that had happened in Prague was coming down the Danube to, to Budapest and it was going to be there. And people are saying it was imminent. And then I think when Hungary got into the European Union and, and all the pretty girls could leave and find uh, wealthy boyfriends, that was pretty much the end. Then it, then, it, then it became just like Prague or just like anywhere else. Well, you know, right, but, right, right before I left, right before I moved to Bulgaria, uh, I, was, I was living in this, um, this, this old, old home in, in, in a forest. And uh, it was impossible to find. Anybody that tried to visit me would uh, get lost two or th- for two or three hours asking neighbors uh, where, where this Utsa, where this, where this street was. It was a gravel road. And uh, the, the nouveau riche were coming in, and they were, they were just absolutely decimating the forest and building these, uh, these uh, ghastly suburbs. But not in my neighborhood. Um, I uh, was able to run every day through these, uh, these forests, and uh, there was an old uh, airfield from World War I, and it had grown... Uh, it had, it, it, it filled in with, with, with this deep grass and I would run through the deep grass and, and up through the hills and then back into the forest. I'd go out for one or two hour runs. And uh, right, right before I left Hungary, I was running through one of the most beautiful untouched uh, forested areas and there was a, suddenly a two acre clearing. They'd, they'd clear cut everything and they were digging up uh, the ground to put in water mains and they were stretching power lines and uh imagine they were they were turning uh this untouched portion of uh, buddha and this was right before it turned into a small village a small farming village into uh into the suburbia but well uh, i imagine i imagine budapest is now like prague or like anywhere else it's got the same people it's it's one of these um international city centers I know that I know that it's a it's a stopping point now for these jet set jet setter people, and uh, I mean even Sofia Bulgaria is, according to uh, according to Bodkin, uh, his reports from down there would indicate that Sofia is is now just as Western in terms of its um, composition and the people that are there and the businesses, as Prague or Budapest. The East and the West are not really very different anymore it's been, it's, it's, whole... it's been two decades decades since i've uh I've, I've i've visited sofia but uh did i ever tell you about the uh the uh the uh the the dead woman that i resurrected in hungary no no what was that so um the uh the beautiful uh splendid uh woman who i was dating was uh she claimed she was an actress and so she had an Irish poet. She had an Irish poet compose a play about her extraordinary life and the extraordinary things that she had experienced and accomplished by her ripe, ripe age of, of 22. And uh, 
it was uh, it was opening night, and I had uh, I had actually uh, volunteered to to help in the uh, the production of this uh, this drama, and actually was a character in the drama later on when the Buddhist monk uh, was sick. I actually had to shave my head and and play the role of the Buddhist monk. But this was opening night. This was before I actually had to to fill in as an extra. And uh, I was out in a run, and uh, I was going to curtail my run in order to make the uh, the opening night uh, performance. It was actually well attended. I think there were probably about 100 people there. And uh, I was out running along this one uh, area, and there's a clearing where the, uh, the forest had been cleared for uh, an electrical line. And I saw what, what, what looked like a, a, a trash dump or so, something that had been dumped perhaps 200 meters down this, this steep slope where the, uh, the power lines descended into a smaller village. And, and I had actually walked into this village before uh, with, with, this, with this woman. Um, but I was, I was on my run. But after I passed it, about five seconds transpired, and I, and I had this eerie feeling that, that something wasn't right about this, this trash dump. So I retraced my steps, and I descended to what I thought was just a abandoned mass of clothing or trash, and um, it was a body. And um, it was uh, this babushka, uh, for, for lack of a better word, uh, this this old woman wearing a dress with a uh, bandana tied around her her head, carrying um, a sack of potatoes and radishes that had spilled, and uh, I thought that I had encountered uh, someone who had transpired. But as I looked into her eyes, uh, they opened, and they began to blink. Wait, she she was laying there. She was laying there with spilled vegetables. She was laying there with spilled vegetables. She had a a, a sachet. Of radishes and, and uh, potatoes that it spilled, and she was uh, laying in the trash. She she wasn't. There was no trash. What I what I thought was trash was in fact a person. Oh, Jesus! I wasn't wearing my glasses. Cool. I, I I was I, I wore glasses at the time, and I, I didn't run with my glasses, so my eyesight was poor. So um, what I saw in the distance um, oftentimes deceived me, and. Her face was badly cut, and there was dried blood um, from the corner of her eye running down to her cheek. And not, not being able to, to really carry her to safety and not knowing the extent of her injuries, I realized that I, I had my, my run, which was a training run, which was subsequently to turn into a... Uh, attendance of an opening night of a, of a theatrical performance for my then girlfriend, I realized it, it had turned into a rescue mission. So I ran as quickly as I could two miles down the embankment. Did you talk to her? Did you talk to the woman? Um, I, I said something to the extent of, uh, you know, you know, is everything okay? You know, good, good evening. Yeah. Good evening, old, old, old grandmother. Is everything okay? And she just blinked, and but she looked like she was on the edge of death. And she, she may well have been due to dehydration, or I, who knows how long she had been there. 
So I, I found a, a, a small, small home that happened to be hooked up to a telephone. And I said, there's an old woman. And this is my Hungarian skills weren't, weren't, weren't as, as I just moved there, uh, moved to, to, to Buda. And um, my, my Hungarian was, wasn't as, as fluent as it probably could have been. And I said, there was an old woman and she's, she's troubled. There's a troubled old woman and she's very bad. There's a bad old woman. <laughs> We must call it. We there's must call an ambulance. There's a bad troubled babushka. They probably said, "Ah, oh, yeah, we, we." There are a lot of those. And uh, and miraculously, they 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 put me on the phone. They put me on the phone with the ambulance, and and in my broken Hungarian, they 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 basically said, "Do you, do you speak do you speak English?" And and uh, <laughs> and I and I and I said yes, and they uh, they they tried a couple words of English, but they couldn't speak English, so I said. Uh, I said, "Well, look, um, I don't know where I am, but I, this 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 man knows where I am." And so I put the the homeowner on the phone in this, this, this tiny little rural hut, and he and he gave directions. And I have no idea how they found it, but the uh, the ambulance went up this dirt road to this home, and it was three young people. They were wearing designer jeans and nice shirts, and and they. Greeted me. Oh, all, all of them spoke fluent English. This is what I remember. And uh, and they said, "Wow, this is this is so great that you've done this." This is before we even reached the old woman. And uh, and I mentioned that I was trying to make a, a performance, and they said, "Oh, well, why don't you go and make the performance?" And uh, that would be terrible. That would be tragic if you missed it. And I said, "No, no, no. I I, I want to direct you to this old woman." And and we, 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 the ambulance went up this bumpy, rocky road. I have no idea how they did it. And then all these young people in the designer jeans and T-shirts, I think it was a, 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 a cute 25-year-old girl and probably two guys that were probably her age, uh, walked down with their medical kits and, and then addressed the woman and uh, tried to pick her up and ask her what had happened. She had, she had fallen and she had smashed her head on some rocks is basically what had happened. And she had soiled herself, and so they, uh, when they, so actually, if I remember correctly, they they first tried to pick her up, but they had soiled their hands, and so they, they then then put on gloves and they soiled their uh, designer jeans. Yeah, their designer jeans. No, I th- I think it was just their hands, and they realized, well, we should put on some gloves, and they lifted her up into a stretcher, and she kicked and screamed and moaned. She moaned. She was not that really capable of of kicking and screaming. And they brought her. They brought her into the ambulance, and they took her stats. And I, I, I don't know what her disposition was. I mean, she, she had had a bad day, and she had fallen and, and hit her head. But they, they thanked me. I mean, she, she probably could have died uh, if uh, she had been left abandoned. Uh, you know, for for another day or so. But Hungarian nannies are are, are pretty tough. Um, so I, I felt that I'd, I'd, I'd done a, you know, pretty pretty good job of. Uh, Saving an old woman, I, and I ran down to the uh, small home in which I lived at the time, and I showered. We had a nice, nice hot shower, and uh, it was it was a bathtub, but it was a it had a, it had a shower fixture on it. And I dressed myself, and I was two hours late to this performance. I'd missed it, and uh, the Hungarian girlfriend uh, said to me at the time. That that that's that's a great lie. I don't know how you were able to to make up such a story, and uh, and never believed me. She just thought that I just matter of factly made that up. And and I realized that uh, 
her ability to lie and manipulate far exceeded mine because if she heard such a story and realized, well, I could have done a much better job of making up some shit to miss a performance, uh, it kind of was an indication of our, uh, the, the foundation of our, uh, of our relationship together. But, but I digress. Yeah, well, but I digress. <clears throat> that girl was, that girl was batshit crazy. That girl was, uh, did you know that she got in touch with, uh, she got in touch with me. You knew that. But she also got the, the cell phone numbers of the, those twins, those twin guys that I knew in college, somehow, and started calling them. She also got, she somehow found out about my brother and my brother's marriage and sent a, an email saying she was going to crash the wedding in France. And... Uh, I mean, just, I, I never even, I never physically seen this person. I don't even, I, I, so I was, in general, at this wedding, I was very concerned that she was going to show up. I didn't know if she could somehow get to, well, get to France. Well, you know, it, I'm, I'm looking at a blanket that my, uh, my, my grandmother, Alice, an uh, incredible woman, she lived until 100 years, um, and she would knit these uh, intricate blankets that would take her about a year. I've got two of them. They're uh, some of my prize gifts. And... Um, but she began to receive letters from this young woman. Really? Yes. Oh and, my god. And um, she she also would send letters to to my parents, and apparently my mother would actually uh, respond to these letters, and um, <laughs> it was it was it was uh-huh. it was it was proclaiming that I I was a I was a callous-hearted young man who had abandoned her and uh, rejected her love. And, uh, but it was, uh, only, only years later that I learned that, uh, that she had in fact, uh, attempted to engage my grandmother as well. I don't think my grandmother responded to her, oh her, 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 letters. Um, but, well, uh, she tried, to, she also tried to get in touch with my brother. She tried with my brother when he, um, yeah, she tried to contact him. Well, this, I, the, he said, he asked me, who, who is this person contacting me? Do you know this person? I said, don't respond, don't respond. Uh, and I also remember, maybe I told you about this, in, uh, when I was down in Miami, she, uh, when I was trying to start up that club down in Miami, <laughs> wait, 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 very wait. strange she, email. She, she pursued you in Miami. I had, I had no idea. That, because yeah, that was, I got this very strange email. That was, that, that's, like, was that's, like years. Years that's, ten, that's like 10 years later. Yeah, it was 10 years after. But I got this very strange email, and it wasn't written in perfect English, so it kind of looked a little foreign. And it was someone saying like all the things that I was interested in were kind of all the things that they were interested in, and maybe we could work together on something. And it was it what, was what, what he- I mean, he- he- Heidegger and, and jazz and uh... no, 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 no. It was it was no. It was naming lots of music stuff. It was um, it was very on the surface very knowledgeable, and it seemed very legit. But if you looked at it closely, it seemed to have been picking stuff from from little crumbs of information that I'd left everywhere. And it, it was just too perfect. And I realized it's got to be her. I didn't even respond to it. I just blocked the person. But I, I realized it was her. It had to be. There was, there was no one that would come up with something that was just so, it was just too perfect. Well, you know, I was, uh, I was, teach, I was, I was teaching English in Bulgaria. And I was teaching in a, in a, in a formal classroom at a, at a university. And um, class had just gotten out. And uh, 
it was it was one of those those typical nights where the cafeteria closed at seven and my class ended at six thirty and uh the only way I could really get a solid meal was in the cafeteria just because it was it was difficult for me to cook and the and the cafeteria food was was great even though the Bulgarian students thought it was terrible I thought Bulgarian food was great and um it was one of those nights where my students, uh, not, not trying to take advantage of me, but just trying to learn more and, and follow up, and I was flattered, um, would keep me until about 7.15. And then I would realize, well, I, I missed dinner, and now I'm going to have to attempt to cook for myself, which was boiling potatoes and dumping in sunflower oil and uh, mixing it with some mayonnaise and maybe some some uh, pet uh, pastet, which was this... Uh, uh, liver pate in a can, which was pr- pretty much dog food, but but it tasted good. Uh, and this uh, this girl, it was a Bulgarian girl, came and said, "Well, uh, someone left this uh, this shirt for you." And uh, it was a shirt that that the Hungarian girl had given me, but I had left behind. It uh, it was the only thing I'd left behind. I was able to to reclaim all of my possessions when I returned to Bulgaria to get all my books and my clothing to return, uh, when I returned to Hungary uh, in Budapest to, to get my things, uh, it was the one thing that I'd left behind. So she had apparently found a Hungarian student who studied at this university and they contacted him. And when he visited his parents on, uh, on break, she gave him my shirt and instructed uh, him to give it to somebody who didn't have a connection to him and uh and when i asked Jesus. and when i when i asked the girl who who she got the shirt from she said well no it was it was left at the office it was very very vague and i and this was i knew this was my shirt and she said no no, no you, you you left the shirt behind at the front desk you uh you were at the library and you left your shirt and so we're just giving you back your shirt and I almost believed the story because I thought, well, perhaps this is my shirt. And I realized, no, this I haven't seen this shirt for, for six or seven months. So uh, that was that was the closest she got to me in Bulgaria. Yeah, it's just, it's incredible though. Like, uh, I think a lot of guys don't really think that women can be like uh, this diabolical. And they can. They could be... They could be just as diabolical as any man, you know. Like there's that uh, there's that film. What is that? Fatal Attraction, right? You know, boiling right. the rabbit and stuff like that. Right. This girl was that was that. She was that. She was exactly that. And that it's not fiction. This is true. Well, the the and, the campaign uh, she created uh, when when I left to Bulgaria, she shaved her head, and she went uh, and individually visited uh, every everyone that I had known. Uh, in, in, in her attempt to uh, foster a campaign of, uh, of either bringing me back or, or invoking a sense of shame or guilt. And she had gone, what, 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 what upset me the most is um, I had private students and she, she went to the parents of the private students and, 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 and read them letters out of context, egregiously out of context. And, uh, and, and all of the, uh, all of the parents said this, what, this stuff stuff you'd written stuff I had written to her um, right explaining the the nature of our uh, of our separation and 
and the, and 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 most most notably the the permanence of our separation. I I was firm. I was it was using a, a, what they call an iron fist technique to uh, <laughs> to to assert to assert the finality of of the, of the termination of the uh, the arrangement. And uh, and but she had taken out things very very contextually. And they they said that it, it didn't sound like me, and they were shocked. And uh, and she actually yeah, but she, she wasn't able to win the parents them though. These parents though must not have accepted any of this. Did they did they contact you about her? I mean, what? How did you find out that she had done this? Or she told you? I I had I had found out um, from uh, close close friends and allies. Um, she she wasn't very popular. She had uh, she had burned many bridges and. Um, she had uh, violated the trust of many Hungarian intellectuals. Uh, the, the, my, my main supporters were... she came from a good family, right? I mean, she was, she see, on the outside, she, she wasn't crazy on the outside. She seemed like a smart person. Didn't you say like her father was like some physicist or something like that? Yeah. Like very her, claimed? Her, her, her father was actually a famous black hole physicist who um, you, can, uh, you can do research on him in... Uh, Black hole physicists obviously, you know, have have a limitation to their fame because of the utility of their research. Of course, it's probably very useful now, but at the time, uh, he 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 wasn't uh, he wasn't a Stephen Hawking's, but he was in the black hole. But she she had been raised in a very intellectual household, so she was she seemed on the outside like a, a pretty cool, sophisticated girl, but very all very this smart. And, and, and her and her 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 Hungarian was obviously. Um, very poetic. She was very intellectual. Her her English was perfect. She had lived in Los Angeles um, because of oh, her. Oh, really? Y- I didn't know because, that. Yeah, yeah. And her her father was actually able to get a job in the uh, in the mid mid uh, early eighties <clears throat> in Los Angeles. He oh, was doing physics he, physics in uh, California, right? Because I mean, it wasn't very political. He told me about uh, when I first had dinner with her family. They were interviewing me. And uh, I told you know that they she introduced me as the as, as a philosopher, and uh, he was very skeptical about my claim to being a philosopher. And he said, "Well, have you read Karl Popper?" Uh, Karl Popper was was someone who I, I always wanted to do my PhD. The, he he had studied some something philosophical, but um, he was he uh, was was all that we, philosophy of science he stuff, was that falsification. exactly he was referencing the philosophy of science i guess black hole physics uh, is indebted to theory so he was uh, probably probably like there's probably a lot of heisenberg but, and but he popper. said he said he couldn't yeah. he couldn't quote yeah. popper because popper popper had some connection to the uh, the cold the cold war and he was kind of forbidden and so we talked at length about Popper, and he was well. There was that whole open society thing. That's what Soros that that got, that, uh, that was. I think that so was that was the sore point. That was the sore point. So he was delighted that I knew uh, Popper uh, intimately, and uh, ah. I I I'd studied the philosophy of science, and uh, I'd taken a course on inductive logic, and in, in inductive logic um, had a lot of uh, had a lot of proponents of. Uh, of a free markets or free thinking or of the scientific method that challenged this this so, the Soviet attitude, and uh, so he was pretty he was pretty impressed by you. Yeah, the the the, the parents cooked me this uh, soup. Now it would probably turn the stomachs of most people, but if you're welcome to 
a Hungarian family's home, what what they're probably going to cook for you is, is their is their famous uh, le, uh, fish fish levesh, and it, it it doesn't really have much to it, uh, and I don't know the historical context of it. I mean, I know that there's uh, wartime food in Great Britain. Uh, shepherd's pie, and it's considered very bland. And this was a very bland soup, and it had um, a, a a floating fish bladder. Every bowl had a floating fish bladder, and the fish was from the Danube, and the Danube was very polluted. But um, there were maybe a, a few. You eat ch- the bladder. You eat the bladder. You 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 would bite into the bladder and and, and take it take a nibble off of it. And and I, my 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 uh, my culinary tastes are very adventurous, and I, I might have eaten the bladder whole, and so they must have either been aghast or impressed by my my courage. Oh, you ate it. You, they served you it. You just started eating the bladder right away. Just it was a floating bladder, and I just pierced it with my teeth, and I like, swallowed oh, it. This looks good. Yeah, I. Uh, I've made I made similar mistakes in in France by eating uh, the the scales off a, a fish, and uh, I don't, my French isn't very good. But how would you translate "je ne recommende"? Je ne recommende. Je ne recommande. It means like I don't I don't recommend I don't recommend. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, I I think when I was eating some some fish scales in in a French in a in a in a in a, in a, in a rural. French place when I was on a, a solo cycling trip, I ate the fish with the skin, and they and they said to the next uh, client, "I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't exactly recommend what don't. he's doing. It's not a good idea. Can't eat this. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Eating fish scales or fish bladders. I've never eaten a fish bladder. You, you, I ate. The, wait, I ate, so you I nibbled ate, on the fish bladder? So I ate. I ate. You I, ate the whole thing. I ate, I ate the whole damn thing. I pierced it with my teeth and I swallowed it. And I thought, you know, it was uh, obviously if it's if it's served to me. And nobody said anything. It was okay. It the they 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 said you must you must really love our food, <laughs> and um, so it was a good it was a good evening though. But the, did the parents say anything like did the father take you aside and say, um, yeah, my daughter's a, is a bit different, or uh, was there was there ever that discussion? Well, her sister her sister uh, began to uh, engage in a monologue about about her. And, uh, and and told me to be careful, and that I had aided in her escape. Apparently, well, her sister like took you aside to tell you this. Well, no, in in, in, in at the at the dinner table, her sister said that look, um, you know, she's really supposed to be supervised by by our family, and she's really not supposed to move out because she's a, a threat to herself and perhaps to society as a whole. <laughs> And she and, said that at the dinner table. Yeah, at the dinner table, and um, and and they also had. Everybody's said, speaking English, though. Everyone's speaking English. Yeah, everyone right? is speaking it's English at this time. And 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 because right. because her sister was studying to be uh, an English teacher, the parents were obviously very erudite and and well traveled. And right. um, they uh, and 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 I, I, I sidestepped these these observations and I, I mentally parked them and I thought this this might be uh, an indication that there there could be trouble ahead, but um, I, I I had I had a great dinner with the, uh, the the family and they demonstrated their their key purchases from their travels abroad. Um, it's difficult to buy certain things and, and bring them back. Um, but he he would choose very strange things. Uh, when he was a professor in Japan, the Japanese have uh, blinds that are that have a, a remote control and that move left to right and close. And he was very fond of demonstrating this to me because no one else in his block 
uh, had such a, a, an automatic blind. And I thought, well, you know, it, it takes about a second to turn a blind. What's what's the point? But I, I told him that it was it was great. And um, so he showed you this. He showed you these these Japanese gadgets. Yeah, he showed turning his he, blinds. He, sh- right. he showed me his his blind, uh, his automatic blind. And then the mother had noticed I uh, I was wearing a, an olive drab uh, coat, which in America at the time didn't indicate that you were in the army, but uh, in in Europe apparently it would it, me- it meant that you were in the army. So I was basically wandering around Budapest looking like a soldier most of the time in, in, in Bulgaria subsequently, but it had a long tear on it. And so she had, um, the mother had, had sewn the, uh, while we were, while I was talking to the father, she just took my coat and, and began to sew the long tear. Now the Hungarian girlfriend said that now I was indebted to her family because they had repaired my jacket and her father had shown me things that he wasn't even supposed to show me because they were illegal purchases. But this is post-communism, so I didn't really think that uh, they were going to get in trouble. But uh, I did subsequently help her escape. Uh, she described her departure from her childhood room as an escape, and we we put up we we packed all her clothes. And uh, wait, so when you met her, when you met this crazy girl, she was living at home, and she moved in with you. Is that what happened? And they were worried about that. Yeah, they were. They were well. The, it, it was a bit more complicated because I I had taken a uh, a flat in Pest, and I had signed a six month lease, and right. I, I, I uh, uh, two or three months after um, tiring of of Pest, I, I decided that I would explore and, and 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 look for a room in in the foothills, and so I um, I found a uh, an advertisement for student housing. Um, at this university, and I, I took a, a trek out to this, this this old home, and I lived with two Hungarian students, two females, uh, a, uh, a gypsy and a uh, non-gypsy Hungarian. And um, I had a, a this 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 free apartment, and I thought, well, I, w- I will liberate this 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 poor this poor girl, and uh, I uh, I liberated her uh, by by packing up her stuff and and, and uh, moving her to my uh, flat and so I would spend half my time living in in, in in Pesht and then half my time living in Buddha so I had this uh, this ability now well this might explain though this might explain though quite a bit of her um, her infatuation with you and why she was so uh, heartbroken and trying to track you down and crazy about about you for for literally, I mean, if the last, if, if I'm saying the last the contact I had with her, I believe happened in about like 2008 or 2009. That's, that's literally like, that's, that's like 10 years after you, you originally were with her. And I bet even to this day, she probably still thinks about you if she's still alive. Well, I, I wonder if she celebrates different anniversaries and, 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 uh, and, dub, and redoubles her efforts to, to, to find me. Um, but... But the uh, but she could, but it, but the reality is though I, I think now that at least during those times it was very hard still for a Hungarian to travel. They weren't part of the EU, and uh, I think now she probably could come to the U.S. if she wanted to, couldn't she? Yeah, she could. I mean, and and, and I welcome her in, in her travels to, to this great to this great country. <laughs> I, I I I my 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 feeling about Bulgaria at the time though was that. Uh, 
I had made uh, very good friends in Bulgaria, and Bulgarians are. But you had to go to Bulgaria. I mean, you you were forced. You were she, her craziness ran you out of Budapest. It, it, you had to it, leave. It, it, I, I sadly had to leave my friends behind in in Budapest. Um, I but had. What was the what was the decisive what was the decisive uh, moment? Or I mean, obviously there was a lot of craziness, but was there something in particular that I saw an opportunity? Felt like she she wanted to visit the Gimesh uh, region in uh, in Romania, so she and the Irish poet took a trip to Gimesh, and at that time, who was the Irish poet? Uh, Irish poet. The, uh, he he was uh, he was an Irish poet who had written the uh, <laughs> who had written the drama the drama uh, of which he was. The oh actress. yeah, that's right, that's right. And yeah. um, the there, there 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 was a drama. Uh, there was a, a contingency of Irish poets, and um, I, I felt so. Always an Irish poet. There's a lot of Irish poets. That that Yeatsian that Yeatsian yeah. uh, Joycean tradition. It's very strong. I was I, I felt very slighted because I felt that I was one of the key intellectual uh, figures in in Budapest at the time, expatriate writers. But you were. I I heard at least according to you that you spent most of your days uh, sitting in a bathtub reading Nietzsche. I, I I did I did when I lived uh, when I lived in Pest and then I would escape to a library later and, I, and, and I'll get to this but uh, the Irish poets uh, began to uh, create uh, performances and, and group poetry readings and uh, they didn't invite me on the on the on the on the card they didn't they didn't they didn't invite me and and, and when I when I showed up one day um, they, they wanted to charge me and there, there was a there was a what? there was a very heated they wanted to charge me an entrance fee and uh, I, I felt very slighted and so there there, there was a Wait, but they were inviting. Um, they were inviting this girl. No, they were. They were inviting the in? other Irish poets to read. Um, and then the, the girl, she she got in free, uh, just by virtue of her association with other Irish poets. Um, but uh, uh, so so there there was there was a fallout. Uh, I had a fallout with the Irish poet poet community in, in Budapest at that time. But uh, she she eventually found out that I had this this second um, uh, residence in in the foothills. And one night I was sleeping, and at 2 a.m. a taxi pulls up, and uh, she begins shouting, and she had, she had discovered where I lived. And my roommates had uh, had a very rude introduction to her existence, um, because uh, she told the uh, she told the driver to leave, and she uh, proceeded to uh, c- come into the home. And I I had a very very small and modest room. It was uh, I had a little. A, a, a piece of foam with a blanket over it where I slept. And um, so, so she invaded my presence. And so then I found various libraries that were on the outskirts of Budapest uh, where I could do my reading and my work. And she would find me. Every place I would go to, she would eventually find me. And um, even when I was in Bulgaria at the library in, uh, in, in Blagovgrad, uh, she found the, the main telephone number of the, of the head librarian and I was deep in the stacks, almost falling asleep one day um, after a, a, a long day of reading and writing. And the uh, head librarian came to me, and, and she knew me as, as an English teacher. And she said, uh, James, there's a, there's a call for you. And I thought that was very strange. I thought perhaps it was the, the, the head of the, 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 the English of the Second Language Department. And uh, there was a telephone call waiting for me, and it was her. She had, she had, uh, she had found the number. And made a very expensive long-distance call to to contact me, 
Jesus Christ. Well, you know, she called the um, one of those twins that I was friends with. She called the, I guess he in he, he was living at home and then he would go to work in northern Jersey. And the workers were all given, like if they wanted to, they could stay at this work, this house. So there would be like a bunch of young guys who were consultants for, um, I don't know, I think it was Arthur Anderson or something like that. So he was living there. Um, but not there that often because he'd go home. She got the number of this place and called there. They're like, there's this, there's this Hungarian girl who wants to talk to you. He's like, who is this? And she's asking about me. I wasn't aware that, that she had contacted the New Jersey headquarters of Arthur Anderson, but uh, perhaps that contributed to the, <laughs> no. the fall of Anderson. Perhaps, perhaps Enron, Enron's, Enron, Enron, and MCI, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, uh, this is all before that happened. Yeah. There's a link, there's a link somewhere, but, uh, general, it's, it's just, it's, it's people do not understand when someone says like somebody could be like obsessed and diabolical and, 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 and just the treachery involved and the trickery and deceit to be able to get information. The information is all out there, and it's probably more out there now more than ever. I mean, she was doing this back before the internet really was a big thing. I mean, this is a, this is a so good this is a quite good, a bit more. This is a good segue into uh, Botkin's translation of uh, Shalamov because the obsession with the uh, the power structure in uh, in Russia and the minor violations that would uh, cause an obsession and insanity and in, 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 an insane obsession with with incarcerating. And castigating these these thinkers for 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 minor violations, and there were these. Uh, I, I don't know how. Well, living. I mean, certainly, certainly, you're right that the um, you, the sense that you had this idea that, I mean, you probably felt like at some point in your life that she could be around any corner. She could be, she could be calling people. She's talking to my grandmother. She's talking to my mother. She's talking to my friends. She's talking to my friends of my friends. Um, she did all of that. There's that sense of uh, of someone watching you and, and 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 scoping out your next move, which certainly has a lot to do with uh, like that that whole era of uh, the East. In general, it's a, it's a, it's actually a very interesting Eastern experience that you had of this a stalker. But it, I mean, the state stalking someone is not very much different than an individual stalking someone. Right. I mean, so I mean, it, it's been observed that the uh, the fiat currency is the uh, is the victory medal of 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 the state, but it, it's oftentimes driven by uh, dri- driven by the the, the desire to uh, satisfy some 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 female demand, and um, then conversely, the uh, the structure of the state can be used to hunt down those that. That stray from some some narrative, whether it's the female narrative or or the, or the state narrative, I, I really don't see a difference. I mean, the woman is a builder of the state. Um, I think that she's used it to her, her advantage, and um, I wonder if the uh, the 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 desire of of, of 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 females to control the world and to shape the world in, in their own image hasn't been. Uh, Influenced by the uh, the Russian gulags, <laughs> you know what it's really about. It's about boiling rabbits. It's about calling all the friends in Jersey from Hungary, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. It's hard, it's hard to build a metaphor on this, this, this crazy bitch, but uh, <laughs> that's the craziest... That's the craziest bitch I ever heard of. And they, but they're real. For all the young men listening out there, crazy bitches are real. They, they will hunt you down. They will call everybody you know. They will come after you for 10 years after you've seen them the last time. They'll talk to your friends that don't even know, that don't even know them. They'll, they'll entice anybody they can. General, it's, it's the most extraordinary story, and I would not have believed it was true. I would have thought it was some Hollywood kind of stuff, but... Uh, I, I think I think in my my old age as as these uh, experiences have mellowed in the uh, charred casks of uh, of a nice uh, whiskey barrel uh, that I, I actually can 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 look at these experiences fondly and now, and now write about them. But they were things uh, that I I, 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 I I blocked out in order to uh, live live positively. I mean, I, I, I she you know she contacted wait she contacted my brother. Did you know that? Uh, she contacted my brother. So, so I mean, it's 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 it's, it's extra. It's just extraordinary. She, well, first she contacted him, and then later, years later, she said she she contacted, tried to contact me, and said she was going to his wedding. He was she was going to crash his wedding. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. What is stuff. the uh, ridiculous? I mean, what do you, what do you think the intention was? I mean, that she would go to the wedding, that there would be some reconciliation between. You, your brother, and your family, and then that would lead to some. I have no idea, but I, 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 I tend to think that whatever she was saying to me or to anybody, uh, uh, the twins that I, the twin friends that I had at the time, uh, or my brother, it was all about. Really, it was about you. It wasn't about anyone else. So this was all. This was all about you. It wasn't. She did not intend to to uh, start relationships with any of these people that were uh, tangential to you. She really wanted you. Uh, that might have not have seemed clear to anybody, but I think looking back at well, it... Well, I mean, this is no different than... That's than, what it was about. Than, 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 than what a very, a very nasty and strong state wants. I mean, the state wants... Um, if I look at uh, Shalomov's life, the state wants... Uh, when you say that, that she wanted me, the state wants the... Uh, the the total consent of the of the individual because if you look at uh, Shalomov's life he uh, in order for him to publish his poetry um, he had to he had to renounce certain things I mean if you if you look at his life the Soviet authorities then forced him to sign a statement after he had uh, sent his work the 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 uh, Kolima tales is am I pronouncing that correctly? Is it Kolima? Is, it, is that how it's pronounced? I think it's Ko- yeah. I think so. I think so. I don't know. I don't. I don't know Russian. So they Kolima. So he he stated he stated that uh, in order to publish his poetry, he had to sign a statement in which he stated that the topic of the Kolima tales was no longer relevant after the twentieth party congress, that he had never sent out any manuscripts. And that he was a loyal Soviet citizen. Once he had renounced Kolima tales, he was permitted to publish his poems in the Soviet Union, and they began to appear in literary journals in 1956. I mean, I think, and that's funny because in 56 is is exactly when Russia began to uh, invade uh, Hungary. So I think that there's a connection between Shalomov's renunciation of his poet of his of his Kolima tales 
and the invasion of Hungary by the Soviets, which is well, I think I, I know from I know from some some stuff that Bodkin has discussed with me that there was a real uh, after Stalin died and the Khrushchev period began, there was the the country was trying to reckon with the fact that Stalin had had been. Um, this cult of personality and this just labor camps for everybody and all this killing. They were trying to reckon the injustice of that era. Also, though, with a reformation of the, the Soviet system that could continue. They didn't want to have all this evil that was done by Stalin associated with the Soviet system itself. So you, because they had, this, they had the Cold War going on as well. And the Western powers were looking to make propaganda out of all of this uh, killing that Stalin had done. They would, they would have loved to have read Shalimov and said, look how evil the communists are. So Shalimov was dangerous um, to the Soviet state in a way because of um, the, 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 the truthful nature of, of what he was expressing about what had happened. So there was real reason to suppress what he was saying. And... Uh, you know, you have this, you have this, you know, this this kind of two, you know, two-faced game that's going on in the Soviet system of um, trying to appeal to the West, uh, the particularly the intellectuals of the West, guys like your boy Sartre, who were still pro-Soviet and believing in in communism, but trying to hide all of the the killing that was done in the labor camps and all this terrible stuff that had happened, to try and say the system was still a good system despite these injustices and 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 deaths. So, it, it, but it was a very fine line to, to, to walk. And you wanted to expose some of it that Stalin was a bad guy and we're going to take a new direction, but you didn't want to expose so much that people would say the whole system was wrong. So I think you had uh, this, this crackdown that did come in the, in the late 50s, especially in Hungary, and that invasion and occupation. Uh, this was perhaps a result of this opening of criticism of the Soviet system that eventually in 57 had to be shut down and once again had to be repressed. So Shalomov was writing during this whole period, but what, what do you do with this, this writing? Because it could easily be used as propaganda by the West to incite rebellions, just like the rebellion you saw in, in, in Budapest. It, it, it's, it's just trying to walk a fine line. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know exactly. Uh, but in the end, you get a guy like Solzhenitsyn who, is, who becomes the, the, the focal point of the gulag talk because his, vis- his version of the gulags is a little bit more, uh, more uh, digestible than Shalomov's, which just seems awful and horrible. And, uh, you know, it, well, I mean, I, 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 I'm inspired because uh, n- now that I think that there's been enough distance to reflect appropriately about this... Uh, this person, this Hungarian girlfriend, uh, I think if I were to write a, a short story, the, the, the title would be Invasion, Occupation, and Crackdown. <laughs> and uh, it would, uh, I mean, it would, it would be a lot of... Did you, know, did you know what happened to me yesterday? I didn't tell you this. It's, uh, I walked out of my apartment. I was, I was going down to the 7-Eleven. Jesus Christ, the Hungarian girl's there selling you a uh, slushy? No. Now even better, even better. I walked out of my apartment. Go, to, I'm, I'm crossing the street. I'm gonna go walk down Elm Street to the 7-Eleven on the corner. Talk to my buddy, my buddy, the uh, the Asian guy down there. He and his wife are on the place. Always working hard. Good people. 
what uh, what, what, what type of Asians? Just out of curiosity, like uh, Korean, Korean, like, maybe. I'd say I'd say Korean, so- Southern Asian, Southeast Asian, okay. something. You know, maybe maybe like Malaysian. I feel like Malaysian. Yeah. Hard hardworking uh, people. Like the Filipinos, like the Filipinos. Ah, yeah, they're all good people. But anyway, I went down there for a six-pack, tall boys, and uh, on my way, I see this guy with a backpack, kind of funny-looking guy, uh, harmless, definitely harmless. And uh, I could see him looking at me, but I don't make eye contact. And uh, he stops, and he kind of waves this awkward wave, like a foreigner, you know? Like one of these goddamn foreigners in this country. And uh, so I stop and he goes, uh, hey, uh, with, a, with his accent, he's got an accent. He goes, are you, are, are you in a rock band? Are you in some sort of rock band that's playing around here? And uh, I could tell that it's kind of a bullshit opener line. You know, he's, he's trying to, it's an opener, you know. It's not an opener to fuck me, but it's an opener to talk to me about something. You know what the fuck you want to talk about? But yeah. he's harmless. Yeah, maybe maybe so I'm gonna some, let it go. some type, I don't know some what type of scam. About. You sent some type of scam. I don't think he wants money, but he's a foreigner and he's he's opening me for something. And this rock band thing is just because my I got pretty hair and I'm a pretty man, and I'm a cool looking dude. And um, and anyway, he's not from around here. So I stop and I start talking to him, and he, and, and then you know he he takes out of his backpack. He takes out of his backpack one of these. Uh, Bhagavad Gita books. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, all right, this is what it's about. He says, um, have you ever heard of uh, Gandhi or uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson? I said, yeah, yeah, I read them all, read them all. And uh, he goes, I said, I've read that book you have, you're holding in your hand. I've read parts of it. And he said, really? Yeah, you know all these people? I said, sure, sure, of course. And he goes, um, I am a Hare Krishna. I said, yeah, yeah. I used to eat, uh, used to eat your wonderful Hare Krishna vegetarian food back in, uh, back outside of Chicago years ago. Great stuff, great stuff. And I said, I know you're gonna want to, you're gonna give me the book, right? I gotta make a donation. He said, yes. I said, where, where, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Russia. I said, Russia. What's your name? And my name is Dmitri. I said, Dmitri. Have you ever heard of Varlam Shalomov? He said, no. I said, have you ever heard of Solzhenitsyn? He said, yes. I said. Shalomov is the better man. Shalomov wrote the true shit about the, the labor camps. He said, really? I said, Dmitri, you're very lucky. You can read him in Russian. You can read his poetry in Russian. And uh, I talked to him a little bit about Shalomov. And he asked me if I wanted to, uh, to still take the Bhagavad Gita. And I said, no, 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 no. I've got too many books at home. And I said, uh, the donation money that I might have given you is going to have to go for some tall boys. And uh, I left it at that. Oh, but I did mention to him that I said, I, I said, where are you staying? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, and there's a van over there. And it was parked in front of my building. And I'd seen these guys sitting in there. They were looking on their cell phones and they looked very suspicious to me, but harmless. And this van was kind of open. It was one of those, those tall, uh, white uh, Mercedes vans. And uh, he was in there with a bunch of other Russian Hare Krishna dudes, I think. And I'd seen them earlier in the day. And I said, yeah, yeah. I saw you bastards over there. You guys, you guys are sus- suspicious characters. You gotta be a little more careful. And he said, "Oh, okay, okay." And, said, and he's headed down to Houston to give books away and ask for donations and hari hari rama rama. But uh, hopefully, he'll read some Shalomov. Well, you know, I, Shalomov. I think that uh, I think that he he should be distributing Shalomov with the uh, Bhagavad Gita. They're very similar stories. I mean, they're very similar stories about. Uh, 
going into the underworld and emerging from the underworld and, and, and having something. Look, to- Shalomov, Shalomov, Shalomov is as holy as anything that the Indians ever wrote with the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, there's, you get the holy insight of uh, 20 years in a, in a gulag camp. That's, that's fucking religion. That is, I mean, that's right in your own country. I mean, what about all those um, monks and stuff from Dostoevsky, like Aloysia from, um, from uh, what's that, uh, Aloysia from, uh, what the hell is the famous Dostoevsky with Aloysia? Remember that guy, that yeah. monk Aloysia? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, who, who the fuck are these Russians? I mean, they're basically... What about Andrei, Andrei Rublev of, of Tarkovsky? Yeah, I mean, I the, mean the, the beauty of these monks. These guys, I mean, but they're... they're you know, I, why would a Russian... Why would a Russian turn to a fucking Indian guy and read this shit in translation? Yeah. He's got a whole country filled with the most beautiful Orthodox monks that are, have ever been around. Well, these guys are the holy, holiest motherfuckers ever. And, 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 these, Russia, ever. and these Russians are, you know, uh, ethnically, they, they've got a lot of Asian in them. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Russia, just geographically where it sits, its proximity to Mongolia. Right, that's the thing. That I mean, but that's the thing. They, though, they the, have. They are the. They are at the crossroads of Asia and in Europe, so they get, and they've also in, inherited all of the um, the oldest Catholic traditions. So they mix that with the Asiatic stuff, and you get this phenomenal religious stuff that is totally otherworldly. I mean, just look at those those mosaics, like the like Andrei Rub- General. Remember Andrei Rublev? The uh, it's a it's oh a it's a very God. it's a very long film. I uh, when when people ask me about my interest in cinema, I almost uh, am resident to even talk about Tarkovsky. Yeah, R- Rublev. Rublev is very very special. It, I I think it was something like a five hour film. It might have been longer in the uncut version. But uh, there there there's Andrei Rublev. That film by Tarkovsky, and The Stalker is is is, is a great is a great film is very similar to the uh, Kalima tales because it, it's, it's unscripted. There is no narrative. It occurs out of necessity. It's a story that has to be told. And it's not fiction. It, it, it's something that happened. It's something that's in the deep spiritual recesses of the Russian consciousness. And it, 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 it happens so naturally and so slowly and so beautifully, but it's so powerful, like all of Tarkovsky's work, that uh, you can't imagine the Russians wanting to turn anywhere for spiritual guidance. Um, but, you know, I think, I think the Russian people are, are, are a bit confused. They've, a lot of this stuff has been suppressed and kept from them. And, I mean, even, even the Shalomov stuff, they don't know about Shalomov. I don't think that the Russian government under Putin wants this stuff to be revealed. You know, Putin has gone on a kind of a, he's made an effort to try and rehabilitate Stalin. Like he doesn't want Stalin to be viewed as this terrible, this terrible uh, figure. And so that means something like Shalomov is on the outs. I mean, you still have, you still have this suppression of, 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 of people in literature who said certain things which for certain administrations is viewed as a good thing, for other administrations and, is viewed as and, a bad and where thing. And very Stalin, where the fuck was Stalin from? I mean, he wasn't even, wasn't it the case that he wasn't even Russian? He was, he was some bumpkin. He, wasn't he from he was Georgia? He was, from, he was from Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. And he, yeah. and he spoke Russian with a very uh, hackneyed accent. He had an accent. Yeah, I don't. 
And uh, I mean, his the whole the whole story of Stalin is 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 is, is its own thing. But what's interesting though is that. It's that the the past of Russia is still very much viewed as central to its present. Putin is using these ideas. You had the Yeltsin period, which was, which was a very Western period where they were trying to just embrace the West entirely, and now they're going back to this um, really really a cult of personality, but also uh, trying to raise the. I, I imagine with all the oligarchs taking all the money, they want to raise the the sense of being Russian into something beautiful and wonderful to to obscure the fact that people are so impoverished and, and suffering. Are, are there people still left in the pockets of the taiga or other remote regions that have been untouched by the the state and have been untouched by this this imposed narrative of the Russian government? I mean, have there been people always in Russia that perhaps like in the rural south in the United States that have just been untouched by all this shit. I mean, is, is, well, probably, I don't know. I mean, there's probably people out there. <clears throat> I, I mean, uh, I met this one guy in Ushuaia, um, very, very cool Russian cat from, uh, Tashkent. That's where he was born. And he told me Siberia was the place. Siberia is the, is the wonderland. And this guy was like some Russian monk out of a Dostoevsky thing. And uh, very cool cat who I, I want to also bring on a podcast. Vitslav Bodkin, I'd love to have on a podcast, but I also want to have this guy on a podcast. So I got I to gotta figure out a way to do it. Um, but both of, these, both of these Easterners have a lot to offer uh, about places that we just don't know about in, in, in literature we don't know about. And it's not in translation and it's not being... It's not being put out there, and I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's almost better that it's not. Uh, this is this is this is uh, good good stuff for the few who are really open to it. But you know, you kind of have to go to these places and meet these people uh, if you really want to know. So I don't know. I mean, Colima. I mean, what Colima's like uh, Alaska? I guess. Col- Col- I don't. Col- Col- I have no Col- idea. Colima's a uh, like like Alaska, but. Uh... It was it was a place where you know it's 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 interesting. The the correlate is uh, Alaska is 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 a place of great freedom, but I mean to to really buckle down and survive in Alaska, you have to create a, a certain prison for yourself. I mean the boat is a, a sense of great great freedom. You're you're when, once you pass the breakwaters, you're in international territory. But then you have a five day trip. And it's 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 an imposed prison, and, and similarly, working in the North Slope, you do these two week stretches. It's an imposed prison. You, it's very lucrative, but uh, so there, the 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 difference between the the men who worked in the labor camps and the men who willingly go out to Alaska is just a matter of remuneration, and perhaps survival rates. But I mean, it's the the severity well, the severity of the landscape rates. is very is very similar. Yeah, survival rights. Though, if you're if you're not putting in enough calories, that was always the issue. You, they were the food the food rations were so limited. At, at least the way Shalimov talks about it, you'll you'll read it in the Kolima tales. Like you know, it's a death sentence if you're given certain job because the food rations are so small, and they, they the Russians I guess the Soviet system at the time had a crazy idea. It was it was suicide to do this. But they would offer you the possibility of extra rations if you could increase your workload beyond the quota for the day. But that was truly suicide 
because you would be burning up so many calories that the extra rations could not even account for, for the extra work. And Shalomov, being very, very smart, he figured this out early on. And so he was always trying to do the minimum, and that led him to being beaten all the time by the, by the bosses. Um, it, it, and also, I guess he was imprisoned for a while. They put, they put you in this ice cave. So he traded a beating for, for, for perhaps an extension of his life. But it was still better. Like he was, he was a smart enough guy. He realized it's still better to keep the calories than not do the work. It's better to be beaten. It's better to be stuck in an ice cave. The problem with when they put you in the ice cave was if you, if you tried to lay down and sleep, your body temperature would drop so much that you'd die during the night. So you had to stay awake while you were imprisoned in this ice cave. Uh, that reminds general, me of sleeping in my truck in Alaska. Yeah, the ice cave of your truck. But uh, yeah, I, but uh, general, you want to you want to shut this down? Yeah, want to shut this down? Yeah, we got we got we got, a, we got an hour and a half. It'll hour, be hour uh, half. it'll be easy to. Uh, yep. So let's uh, five, four, three, two, one, stop. <laughs>